A reading from the book of Genesis. God put Abraham to the test. He called to him, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Then God said, take your son Isaac, your only one, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah. There you shall offer him up as a holocaust on a height that I will point out to you. When they came to the place of which God had told him, Abraham built an altar there and arranged the wood on it. Then he reached out and took the knife to slaughter his son. But the Lord's messenger called to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham, here I am, he answered. Do not lay your hand on the boy, said the messenger. Do not do the least thing to him. I know now you are devoted to God, since you did not withhold from me your own beloved son. As Abraham looked about, he spied a ram caught by its horns in the thicket. So he went and took the ram and offered it up as a holocaust in place of his son. Again, the Lord's messenger called to Abraham from heaven and said, I swear by myself, declares the Lord, that because you acted as you did and not withholding from me your beloved son, I will bless you abundantly and make your descendants as countless as the stars of the sky and the sands of the seashore. Your descendants shall take possession of the gates of their enemies, and in your descendants all the nations of the earth shall find blessing. All this because you obeyed my command. The word of the Lord. I will walk before the Lord in the land of the living. I will walk before the Lord in the land of the living. I believed, even when I said, I am greatly afflicted. Precious in the eyes of the Lord is the death of his faithful ones. I will walk before the Lord in the land of the living. O Lord, I am your servant. I am your servant, the son of your handmaid. You have loosened my bonds. To you, I will offer sacrifice of thanksgiving, and I will call upon the name of the Lord. I will walk before the Lord in the land of the living. My vows to the Lord I will pay in the presence of all his people. In the courts of the house of the Lord, in your midst, O Jerusalem. I will walk before the Lord in the land 
reading from the letter of St. Paul to the Romans. Brothers and sisters, if God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but handed him over for us all, how will he not also give us everything else along with him? Who will bring a charge against God's chosen ones? It is God who acquits us, who will condemn? Christ Jesus it is who died, or rather was raised, who also is at the right hand of the God, who also intercedes for us. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ, King of endless glory. From the shining cloud the Father's voice is heard. This is my beloved Son, hear him. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ, King of endless glory. The Lord be with you. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to Mark. Jesus took Peter, James, and John and led them up a high mountain apart by themselves. And he was transfigured before them, and his clothes became dazzling white, as no fuller on earth could bleach them. Then Elijah appeared to them along with Moses, and they were conversing with Jesus. Then Peter said to Jesus in reply, Rabbi, it is good that we are here. Let us make three tents, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. He hardly knew what to say. They were so terrified. Then a cloud came, casting a shadow over them. From the cloud came a voice, This is my beloved son. Listen to him. Suddenly, looking around, they no longer saw anyone but Jesus alone with them. As they were coming down from the mountain, he charged them not to relate what they had seen to anyone, except when the Son of Man had risen from the dead. So they kept the matter to themselves, questioning what rising from the dead meant. The Gospel of the Lord. This is my beloved son. Listen to him. The second Sunday of Lent, 
presents us with quite a, a, a display, a revelation of things to compare and contrast in the context of salvation history. The first reading throughout the Lenten season is always going to be presented to us in a way to give us the full picture of how, set, how God set in motion this plan of salvation that would be fulfilled and consummated in the person of Jesus, the Christ. And in the first reading, as we hear the scene presented to us, for us, who've come to realize Jesus as the fulfillment of everything God promised through the prophets and the law, represented by Elijah and Moses with Jesus atop the Mount of Tabor in this moment of transfiguration. For us, as we hear about what happens with Abraham and Isaac, we see that as a tremendous witness of faith in God. Whereas many of our Hebrew brothers and sisters would be filled with consternation and horror and the idea that the one true God would actually demand a child sacrifice or the sacrifice of one's own flesh and blood to prove fidelity to him. But as we see it being presented to us, it is meant to confirm that God is faithful, true enough, and that God does not indeed delight in child sacrifice of any sort, human beings being sacrificed in any sort of way. But what is being elicited from Abraham by God is a test that is not so much to see, will he go, will he follow through on just going to the location that the mountain would be pointed out to him, but this is in the region of Moriah. And so he goes and we need to bear in mind how this is being laid out for us. For there are some details in this reading that are not disclosed that would help us to see the significance of what's here. This is the 22nd chapter of the book of Genesis, verses 1 through 2, 9, and then 10 through 13, and 15 through 18. But one of the things that's not mentioned is that as they are getting close and as they're ascending the, the mountain, Isaac is carrying the wood for the sacrifice. Now think about that. This is a lot of wood that has to be set, and he's going to have to be laid upon those, that, that wood, and it's going to be set aflame because Abraham is, is described as having the knife and the fire. So this means that Isaac was not a little boy. In fact, there is the tradition in the Jewish scholarship that it's believed that Isaac was a man, a full-grown man at this time. Some even speculate, thinking about, you know, foreshadowings and fulfillment, that he might have even been 33 years of age, which was the same age as Jesus when he would offer the greatest sacrifice imaginable, the gift of his own life for love of the world and obedience to the will of the Father, for the redemption of the whole world. But be that as it may, the very fact that he would have been carrying the wood does indeed confirm he was not a little bitty child. He was a man. And so at what point does Abraham disclose that Isaac is going to be the one sacrificed? Because they even ask the question as they're going, Isaac asked the question, here I have the wood, you have the fire and the knife, but where is the lamb for the sacrifice? And that alone, that question alone, you can only imagine how it must have stirred the heart of Abraham. And he, he says, uh, God, God will provide 
this, the, this, the lamb for the sacrifice, he will provide. And so they go forth. I recently saw a film produced by Angel Studios, the same studio that has produced these wonderful episodes of the life of Jesus called The Chosen. The film that I saw was entitled His Only Son. And it does a tremendous job of really putting us in touch at the visceral level, at the, at the, the earthy, the, the, the grassroots of what would have been happening from the time Abraham was told by God to go on this mission to realize this offering to him. The dynamics of how it would have gone across when Sarah would have been asking, where are you going? And of course, they would have been very much more advanced in years. So he must have disclosed to Sarah, but uh, just said, look, I have to do this. God has come to me. After many years, he's come to me, and he wants this to be done. That's how the film kind of lays it out. It's really beautiful. It's brilliant. By the time all is said and done, as they're at the mount, Isaac is beside himself when his daddy tells him, when Abraham tells him, you are the one that I have to sacrifice. And he's like, what have I done? (laughs) Father, what have I done to deserve this? And his father says, you've done nothing, son. This is what God is asking of me. And the son, trusting his father, loving his father, not doubting his father's love for him, in the film he's presented as saying, then let God's will be done. And he willingly lays down on the altar that's established atop Mount Moriah, And just as Abraham is about to bring down the fatal blow with the blade, we hear the scene as it picks up today. Stop. Do not the slightest bit of harm to this child. For now, I know. It's beyond a shadow of a doubt, your dedication, your commitment to God. But what truly constituted the test? What was the test of faith? What enabled Abraham to even fathom, to to even take this in and and, and go upon it, despite the fact that he would have obviously been torn in knots, second-guessing maybe, wondering at this or that, but what ultimately confirms him as our father in faith? Abraham's faith in God wasn't based on the gifts of God. It was based on the person of God, whom he reasoned, he discerned. If it was possible for God to awaken the dead womb of his wife Sarah in advanced years and gift them with a son in these later years of their life, then surely this same God is able to raise someone from the dead. That was the basis of his faith then and it's still the basis of our faith today because as St. Paul discloses in the letter to the Romans this God who is for us if he's for us as he is then who and who pray tell me can be against us and he discloses all of the possible ways in which the trials and tribulations of the world might be exerted against us he says, no matter what, there is nothing whatsoever that can separate us from the love of God 
in Christ Jesus the Lord, whom he did not spare, the Father, God, did not spare his only Son. And we notice in the scene presented to us in the first reading, what was the, subs the substitute for Isaac? A ram was caught by its horns in the thicket in a bush of thorns. The ram is an animal that is synonymous with a king, with royalty. And so even the animal that was chosen as the substitute then points forward, foreshadows Jesus, who would be mockingly crowned with thorns on his head. For he is the king of kings and the Lord of lords. He is the one who, in concert with his father's will, ascends the Mount of Transfiguration after having disclosed, perhaps for the third time in Mark's Gospel, for this is the ninth chapter of Mark's Gospel, he has disclosed to them what will happen to him in Jerusalem. The mockery, the ill-treatment, the spitting, the brutal beating, and so forth, till finally being put to death on the cross. He has told them this is coming. And this has no doubt troubled them. We know how bad it was because no sooner did Jesus bless Simon, the son of John, as the one who has rightly disclosed who he is. You are the Christ, the son of the living God. He, he bestows upon, upon uh, Simon blessing by calling him, now I call you Kepha, you are the rock, and upon this rock I'm going to build the church. And then he goes to share about what this messiahship is going to be. And he's, oh, God forbid, God forbid. And he said, you're not, get behind me. You're not thinking as God. So no sooner we see this. And so now this is after the sixth day, they are taken up the mountain. That's significant in, in the account of creation. Because if there were six days that have elapsed, then that means all of the visible creation has been completed on the seventh day. We're called to rest with God. Jesus inviting Peter, James, and John to come up. Come up to the heavens with me. Let's see what's going to happen here. He's transfigured. They are completely overwhelmed. In fact, Peter doesn't even know what to say, but he's trying to come up with words. In the very fact that he refers to Jesus as rabbi, when he's being shown Jesus in his glory as the God-man in itself, I think it's safe to say that is the understatement of all history. But we're told they were overwhelmed, they were terrified. He didn't know what he was saying. Let me build three tents, one for you, Moses and Elijah. All of this coming forth, he didn't know. So we don't give... Uh, we give Peter a break. He reacts like everybody reacts when someone from heaven appears on earth. Notice the details of the dazzling white garment. In the Old Testament and the New Testament, those who are of the heavenly origins are dressed in white. And there is always this fear that they are overwhelmed by initially. So we see the brilliance of the light of light of the true God from true God, but then the overshadowing of the cloud brings the darkness. They bow down, and the voice of the Father is heard. This is my beloved Son. Listen to him. So we see again the connection in the first reading. 
Bring your only son, the son whom you love, and sacrifice him to me. Isaac was spared. God indeed provided the lamb for the sacrifice. He continues to represent this lamb to us through the word and the sacrament of the altar of every holy mass. The challenge we have to ask ourselves as we are embracing prayer, fasting, and almsgiving as the regular way of staying, of staying attuned to God, of, being, of conforming ourselves to the will of God, are we also discerning properly the basis of our faith? Are we able to distinguish between the gifts of God and the person of God who is the source of everything, visible and invisible? We are invited to ascend today Mount Tabor to see the transfiguration, the glory of the Lord Jesus, veiled in, by his humanity, in order so that we must descend down from this mountain so as to go back up with him to Calvary and not be scandalized. Albeit, yes, it's very horrific to see it, as all of them will scatter before it's all said and done. But because Jesus, God, knowing full well the situation, this same Peter, James, and John were invited to see Jesus in his suffering, in his agony, in the Garden of Gethsemane. No doubt this scene was impressed upon their hearts and minds. Say nothing about this until, until what? Until the Son of Man had risen from the dead. We're told that as they're coming down from the mountain, what does that have, what is that? What does it mean to rise from the dead? Because the notion of rising from the dead, all of the Jews, the Jews held, like most people, the resurrection of the dead at the end of all history. No one expected or even would fathom that someone would be raised up, would be resurrected before the end of the world. And this is precisely what happens with Jesus. This is precisely what our catechumens are moving toward. The waters of baptism bring us into the mystery of his dying and his rising, coming forth in a glorified way in which there can be no adequate terms or images in this side of heaven that can adequately describe what is happening within us who are born again of the water and the spirit of the living God. So this week we are invited to listen to Jesus, not only in the glorious scene of the transfiguration of Mount Tabor. Listen to Jesus in his agony in the garden. Listen to Jesus as he hangs upon the cross. Listen to Jesus in the silence of his rest in the tomb. Until finally he awakens to present himself to us as alive on Easter Saturday. The full moon presents itself to us this week. In four weeks' time, the new moon will present itself again full, which marks the beginning of Holy Week. We will all bear witness once again to the events that lead to this time and we will all hopefully realize in our hearts the fidelity of God who will indeed manifest the resurrection and the life. The toil that we go through leads to the rest.
the way of the cross to the glory of the resurrection, which is the way, the truth, and the life. God love you.